Well, it's another Thursday lunchtime. I don't know when you are listening to uh, this Unheard Weekly podcast, but we are in here in Unheard Towers, the Shard in London, completely shrouded in mist today. It's almost as if London has disappeared from our eerie view. But I can see you, Aisha. Good. <laughs> Thank you again for. Are you sure it's not that your glasses need cleaning? It's actually not that foggy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can also see we have Nigel Cameron with us. Now, regular readers of Unheard will know that Nigel Cameron is our technology editor. And I hope some of you, by the time you've heard this, will have started to explore his 10-point letter to Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, head and founder of Facebook, is considering running for president. And Nigel has a few questions for him, of which more later. But Nigel, um, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. And um, people of a discerning ear will notice that you are British in accent, but you don't live here, do you, in the UK? I spent 26 years now living in the United States, but I still hope I sound reasonably British. And you still drink a lot of tea? I drink a lot of tea. It's hard to get good tea in the US, but if you work at it, you can smuggle it in. I have so many fascinating stories about Americans and tea. They just cannot get to grips with the fact that the water needs to be boiling. So we're talking about high technology today, but they cannot still make a cup of tea. One of my friends who I told them, you have to put the tea bag into boiling water, thought that the solution was to put the tea bag in the kettle <laughs> and boil it that way. That is brilliant. And I got the tea and it tasted so horrible. And I said, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> that, that requires a public inquiry. That is not, that, that's, well, I'm, I'm quite controversial because I quite like putting the milk in with the tea bag because oh. it stops the water going scummy. And I know this it's works. boiling water then. Aisha, please stop talking. I'm from Assam, right? I have like really good sort of like heritage in this because I come from tea country. It sounds pretty Scottish to me. You're also from Scotland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, that's true. <laughs> we also put some iron brew in it as well. Just well, look, we we must. We, this is not the tea cast. This is the tech cast today. And um, what we're going to do on the uh, feed blog on Unheard, we'll put links to the three articles we're discussing. Um, with Nigel. Um, the first one, Nigel, we, we've chosen is one you wrote actually more or less at the time we launched back in July. And it was a piece on how this person called Donald Trump is sucking up all of the attention in the US media. Tell us what you noticed and why it matters. It really is rather remarkable. Obviously, we have a controversial American president. But he's having all sorts of bizarre effects on the way that the news media is operating. Uh, so, for example, the Washington Post has come up with a strapline which is specifically about Donald Trump. You know, that the, the, um, what is it? democracy um, dies, in die, dies in darkness. Yeah. Now, they say it's not because of him, but it's obviously because of him. They've rebranded themselves because of Trump. Um, someone did a, a very curious piece of research, um, which I, I commend them for by watching CNN for 24 hours. <laughs> And they, every minute they noted what was going on. When you remove the ads, 92% of the minutes were about Donald Trump. This was one specific day well, rather they than... One specific day back in March or something and tracked the thing for the whole day. So only 8% was left for everything else. And Including the show that Aisha does now twice a week on CNN. Indeed, indeed. I digress. Uh, I hope you squeeze it in somewhere. <laughs> um, it, it was an extraordinary impact, just sucking the oxygen out of every other conversation. 
And of course, the problem with this, even if it's people criticizing Trump and saying good and important things, uh, is that it means that nothing else is actually being discussed. And yeah. a lot of important things are going on in the world that are not to do with Donald Trump. And you, in this article, specifically highlighted some of the big stories in technology that, in tune with the unheard philosophy, may well have more impact on our lives in the future or a comparable um, impact on our lives. Um, and yet, the news media supposedly informing us about at times is not really telling us about these things. Give, yes. us, give, us, give us a couple examples, two or three yeah. examples of what, what, what you are focused on in the piece. Yes, well, I, I looked around at, at stories in the sort of technology science area, which had been you know, reported since the Trump phenomenon began to dominate everything. Uh, and I came up with things that I thought really could have justified, you know, above the fold, New York Times, serious treatment, follow-up stories and so on, that ultimately got vanquished. Um, in fact, one day, I just remember checking, I looked at the Washington Post online, and 14 of the 15 top stories were Trump stories. So that was the context. So, I mean, one thing, for example, was China vaulting to the lead in quantum computing. Now, China, for a while, has had the biggest computers in the world, um, but it's now taking the lead in this whole new computing area, which is a little bizarre for most of us to understand, but which everyone thinks will dominate what happens next in the world of AI and so on. And this, this just didn't really feature. Another one was about CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, -R, which is not something you do with your lettuce in the fridge. Um, <laughs> CRISPR is a rather peculiar um, process, which has been discovered really quite recently by some brilliant scientists that enables us to change the way in which genes operate to change to interfere with the way in which in which organisms develop and to make long-term changes inheritable changes it's a story which has been bumbling along for a while but some big announcements were made in the course of the last few months they got they got almost no coverage and of course there's the robots the robots jobs thing which uh, many of us have been concerned about um, and there have been big developments there in the self-driving cars and some other areas robots and sex which is going to be a big 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 story um, cybersecurity story. Just leave that hanging there, yeah. <laughs> leave it, uh, that's a good place to leave it, uh, in the imagination. Um, th these, these are enormous stories. And this is just technology, and you're obviously our tech editor, so we're talking about technology. Precisely. But it's, it's a whole range of other social things happening in America, it's uh, foreign affairs, it's Trump's eating all the oxygen, Aisha. Do you, do you agree, or...? Do I, 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 I do agree, but I think that's partly because, you know, he is such an important figure right now, you, you know, in the world. He's, he's so important um, for good and bad mm. reasons. And also because of how he's behaving and some of his language and how he's treating people, that is kicking off lots of other conversations which do need to be spoken about people have a thirst for these conversations this whole issue of this row he's had with the nfl the taking the knee there's lots of stuff which is moving more from political and policy to sort of social civil mm. rights race issues humanitarian issues the muslim ban and i think that is naturally catalyzing a big discussion it's, it's, it's about the balance though isn't it i mean what we try and do on our show on on cnn which is cnn talk is we don't, to be fair, we do not discuss Trump every week. In fact, the last two weeks we did the fall of Raqqa. Last week we did Catalonia. Um, and actually the response rates were, were very good. You know, people, because we get people um, commenting from all over the world. Yeah. Um, you get more if you discuss Trump? Yes. Yeah. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because I think there was obviously a case to cover Trump properly. 
but CNN know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to single out CNN hmm. here, it's true of lots of networks, but um, networks know that if Trump is the main story, they'll get more coverage. And so, and that is partly what the news industry is. It's an entertainment industry. It's, a, it's an industry fighting for its commercial life. And so what it serves up isn't necessarily the most important stuff. It's the stuff that will get ratings. Now, Trump should be covered. I think the point that Nigel makes, I think, very eloquently in this article is this is too much Trump relative to other really stuff that, important stuff that matters in the world. I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think newsroom values dictate and well this is the whole ethos of this very mm. being you know what is infotainment yeah. rather than what is worthy and important but of course the other subject which is sucking the the oxygen out of everything is brexit as well at the moment and we all in know britain, that there's, yeah. in britain there's a lot of very important domestic issues mm -hmm. which are not being addressed from health to housing to actually tech mm -hmm. um that we aren't discussing either so i think that criticism is absolutely fair, but it could also be levied across, I think, kind of politics in general. I think if you look at how news editors carve up the time that they have, they do dedicate a disproportionate amount to actually quite small political, meaningless rows and controversies. Who's up, who's down. Exactly, you know, the yeah. gossip, mm -hmm. this type of thing, rather than looking at what are the substantial, meaty issues that affect people's lives. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. And I mean, I, I think that there obviously are parallels between the way Brexit and Trump have sucked you know, discussion from other things. I think there are also a parallel in the way in which both governments on both sides of the Atlantic have been preoccupied and not doing other things. And that's why mm. the things aren't being talked about so much as well. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of parallel problem. And also, I think politicians are guilty of this as well. You know, I used to work in government communications as a civil servant and then as a political person. And governments are now absolutely obsessed. That this has happened, obviously, since 1997 when New Labour came in with, a, with the, the new way of communicating, the better spin machine, the news grid. And your job in government now is absolutely to just to crank out a news grid of to, to feed the media sausage machine mm. which start with stuff which is sometimes actually not that interesting and not that important but it's often just politics my experience because i was in america for much of last year um covering trump um was that it gave me a new appreciation of the bbc actually because this does seem like we're singling out being unfair to cnn cnn's a good broadcaster but the fact was that CNN had its one of its most profitable years last year because Trump drove ratings, and therefore ratings are good for advertising. And it, so, obviously, you're going to you're going to do more Trump because it helps you commercially survive. This is an industry fighting for its life. But of course, the BBC has different values, and it can cover stories that you know its producers, its editors are not judged on their ratings. And so, as much as I will continue to moan about the BBC in, in key respects, um, it's I got a renewed awareness, actually, not just of that, the BBC's importance in the UK, but just it's a national conversation. There is no national broadcaster, national forum in the same way in, in the US, is there? Not in the same way. Now, obviously, we do have the public broadcasting system, national public radio and so on. But its penetration is it's, very its small. Its penetration is, is quite small. It, it is regarded as politically compromised, yeah. and it's something of political football. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't provide the kind of, well, of course, the great thing about the BBC is, is that they're not politically accountable in, or, or role ratings accountable in this in the short term. Mm. 
and therefore they can be free to do programming the way they want. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to take an example, Washington Post, I mentioned 14 out of 15 top stories were all Trump stories. One day I checked. I mean, one would have thought that someone in the editorial office would say, well, let's decide only half Trump stories max every day. Uh, now, the BBC could do that. Mm. It would be very hard, I think, for a comparable organisation in the US to make that rather non-commercial judgement. But also broadcasters, particularly in this country, are governed in a different way from newspapers as well. I mean, there are particular Ofcom rules about balance. I mean, that particularly kicks in when there's an election. But in America, there's absolutely nothing like that. I mean, but you wouldn't want to see what kind of regulation in terms of broadcasters oh, should be... What I want is everyone to read unheard because <laughs> then they will know that they will get the significant rather than the new. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> Topic two um, is um, an article um, from the end of August. You wrote, um, Nigel, and there's two, there's two themes to this. That The headline is, robots will take many of today's and tomorrow's jobs and then they'll be dominated by women. So tell us how worried we should be. You've written a couple of books this summer, a couple of books you've written have been published this summer on the robot um, threat to employment, and then tell us why Aisha is more likely to thrive in this era than I will be likely to thrive. In That's this just era. on sheer competence. Well, thank you for that. Uh, nice <laughs> soft, soft softball. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the robot thing it fascinates me. I mean, just to his credit, I mean, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn recently made made his conference speech and, and talked about the threat of robots to jobs. Politicians have shied away from doing that. Uh, very, very, you know, I, I, it struck me as extraordinary the party leader would do this because this hasn't been happening in the U.S. or here. Um, but there's a rumbling discontent, and a lot of really smart people are on the, uh, you know, are, are now saying that there could be a huge crisis in 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 labour markets, whether short term or long term, but certainly you know in short to medium term, uh, and things like you know lorry drivers and, and cab drivers and so on. I think in 10 to 15 years time, I think it's very hard to believe we won't have automated vehicles. And, and quite jobs. a lot of sort of white collar. Sort of and jobs I mean, as a well, lot of things: yeah. jobs in banks, jobs in retail, um, and but also things. I mean, like lawyers' jobs, for example. I had dinner with a lawyer in the states a week or so ago, and he was saying they're just hiring many fewer associates, you know, who are the sort of mid-level lawyer people, because they have software to do their searches for. I mean, this is happening now. Um, now there are people who say you're a luddite, don't be stupid, shut up. This happened before. It turned out right in the end. To which there are actually two answers. One is if you look at the original Industrial Revolution, and uh, there was an interesting speech by Andy Haldane, who's Bank of England's chief economist about this, and he said, in fact, for a generation, there was much, much, there was a big increase in the number of unskilled laborers, because the Industrial Revolution took out basically semi-skilled and skilled jobs, and turned people back back into the fields. So I mean, you, yes, in the long term, things sort themselves so out. The, the, the economy may create new jobs, but there's a transitional period which is can be really problematic. even yeah. from an optimistic point of view. There'll be yeah. there'll be big traffic. And the thing that the, the, the Rust Belt idea, you know, obviously we have you know, Clyde side and Detroit and so on. But you have this all over the economy at the same time as different kinds of jobs are automated. So I think transitionally, it's very worrying. I think in the, in the long term, we don't know. We've got to be prepared for the possibility that there really could be the end of full employment. And this is, this is as devastating to us as climate or anything else. I mean, this is a fundamental challenge. Mm. And we need political leaders who are prepared to talk about it. Oh, and why, you know, you look at the um, Amazon and Facebook and Apple, and they're all basically led by men, um, white men, interestingly, or notably. And, but you think ultimately the robotization 
of the economy will favour women. W w why? Well, if you look at the way in which jobs are going and the kind of jobs that are liable to survive this process, they're typically jobs that require flexibility, that require emotional intelligence, that require openness to change, require managing people, managing the relation of people and machines, which could be quite a big thing. Um, and you know, without taking any view on whether women are sort of culturally determined to be better at these things or whether that's just how things happen to be today, uh, women typically score better on all, in all those areas. And men get sent away to do courses to improve their performance. And I think, I think men, certainly men below the very top sort of you know, entrepreneurial uh, and, and leadership levels are going to be squeezed in this process. And I think women are going to be, well, as it were, they're going to come up trumps. The future is, belongs to you, Aisha. Well, I mean, that's just a fact again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I hope you're right, Nigel, because obviously it would be wonderful if this um, robotic revolution would, you know, be the panacea for gender equality. I am sceptical about that, though. I mean, we are still all processing the fallout of this Harvey Weinstein issue. Today there are figures showing that um, the pay gap is actually increasing between men and women. We still have a big problem. Is that within in the terms UK? Of, yeah, that's yeah. within the UK. There's still an issue in terms of women at those very, very um, top level jobs in terms of getting onto boards as, as executive directors and that sort of thing. So I think we still have quite a long way to go. I think there could be an opportunity in the future because I think you're right. I mean, all the studies about artificial intelligence show that the people who will thrive the best when this revolution comes are people who um, have got creative brains, who have got softer skills, who can think laterally, who can have good relationships, ironically. And you're right, a lot of women are, um, you know, more in that kind of vein. But sometimes the opportunity is not there for women to progress, even though they may have all the skills and the attributes, and you can look around sort of many, many sectors for that. I mean, I read some interesting stuff about this as well, saying that actually um, people who don't have an education which allows them to be creative may also sort of suffer. And, you know, if, you, if you're not... If you don't have that rounded um, schooling or that rounded mm. education, you too could be vulnerable for the types of jobs that are going to look. I hope you're right, but if you look at where things are at the moment, women still are quite segregated in low-paid work, quite unskilled work, caring, clerical, retail, hospitality, cleaning, all those kind of jobs. So I still think women will be as vulnerable, if not more, Oh, I don't disagree with any any of that. I think I think, however, there is a social revolution in the making that will be triggered by the technology. Um, and in, in many ways, in which you look at the technology in the fifties and so on, labour-saving devices, freeing women so they could go out to work, and I mean, things. Technology has actually produced often beneficial social changes. Uh, but I think this will be quite revolutionary. I think it'll be a thunderclap. I mean, there's going to be no gender equity in the employment uh, in the employment world. It's going to flip. And I, th I think in twenty-five years' time, it'll be a mirror image of the nineteen sixties. Women will have all the top jobs. Well, I hope, I hope that is the... Well, actually, what I would like is equality. I think you need 50-50. Yeah. I don't yeah. actually well, I think, think that, we should that, have that, a that sort is, of feminista, you know, the worm that turned kind of scenario. But I think what, what, the, what the sweet spot is, is, is general representation of your society, of your company, your consumers, 
at the top level. I think that is good business sense, and I think it's the right thing to do. I think I think that would be great, but I just think it's pretty unlikely because I think there are big shifts taking place here that really will privilege people who have typical skills that women have. And that some, I think is some, something that um, Charlotte Pickles was writing about um, on her a, a little while ago was you know she began. I don't know if you remember the piece, Alicia, but she began by saying, I'm a feminist, but I'm now worried about men. And mm. she talked about the number of men that are dropping out of the labor market, the number of men um, from traditional sort of uh, blue collar backgrounds who now feel like the economy just does not work for them. That the, uh, the idea that they will ever have a job that could give them something of the status um, that they've enjoyed in the past is gone. And of course, you look at the Trump phenomenon, you look at some of the uh, electoral populist movements around the world at the moment, these are being driven by unhappy, largely mm -hmm. white men. And everything you are saying, um, very sympathetic to um, Aisha's hope that this will bring more e equality, but it also suggests that the populist thing that we are seeing in the world today that Henry Olson's writing about on and heard this week isn't gonna ease because the crash is becoming further and further away in, in memory. There are some bigger technological globalization changes here that mean the, the seeds of populism actually could only just be beginning to sprout rather than you know, ending. I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I think Brexit was driven a lot by the, the discontent that you talk about, a lot of angry men, particularly in Britain, um, in our equivalent of the, the Rust Belt, former mining communities which lost those industries and haven't really been replaced by anything. I mean, I spent some time in some former mining areas which are Labour seats, but they voted to leave the European Union. And you talk to the men in the, 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 the Miners' Welfare Club, and that is exactly the story they, they talk about in terms of not having, you know, lost jobs in an industry, they, you know, tough work, but had they had a huge amount of pride in their work. It was a really important part of their masculinity. Um, it wasn't just a job, it was a place in the family, it was a place mm. in the community, all of that sort of stuff. So I think there are all of those very big, psych you know, um, social psychological issues to think about when this automation revolution happens, I think it will be really difficult. Yeah, and I, it seems to me that, that we need to prepare ourselves for you know, Clydeside, Detroit, Rust Belt experiences in different parts of the economy at around the same time, not just taking out men's jobs, because a lot of women have these very routine sort of jobs mm. that are most easily done by machines, um, but, but causing, causing further devastation of the kind that's produced many of these sort of you know, revolts by, by groups who are so unhappy about the way things have been going. Um, but I think then in the medium term, the issue is going to be what, what the fallout is. And I think that is where we need people to have typical women type skills and entrepreneurial skills. It's also where this fetish we have with, um, with STEM education needs to be flushed out. Because I think the last it's thing... It's a whole another topic. It's a whole, yeah, it's yeah, a whole yeah, another yeah, topic yeah. on the horizon. And which you've written about and we'll be publishing that piece soon. But I, I, I would like, before we run out of time, to do our third um, article. Um, and you, you blogged... Um, a piece about Apple kowtowing to China a week or so ago and it followed an eruption on Fox News by Steve Hilton, formerly David Cameron's advisor. Um, but of course, I don't want to get really into the specifics of these examples. It's more the fact, um, do you use Uber, Aisha? I do. You do use I use it? a mix of things. Mix. I use um, black cabs, but I do use Uber a lot. Yeah. yeah. But here in London, um, the mayor of London, your mate Sadiq Khan, um, and Transport for London recently you know, 
said that uh, Uber would lose its license. Now, I expect that a way forward will be found that Uber will continue to operate. But you've got protests in um, lots of European cities against Airbnb and the effect of Airbnb on uh, local people being forced out of being able to rent um, properties. Amazon, of course, is controversial for its um, treatment of staff, its impact on books. We can go on. Now, we, we began Unheard with an opinion poll about attitudes to the tech giants, and actually they're still largely popular. But is something in the, in the air, Nigel? Is, are we seeing a move, at least amongst elite thinkers, opinion formers, politicians, journalists, against these powerful tech giants? What, what, what do you think is, is going on? I think I think there's there's a sea change coming about. It's very hard, of course, to, to predict when and you know what final significance it will have. But things certainly aren't like they were five years ago. Um, partly, I think people now feel themselves freer to critique these technology companies without thereby implying that they're against technology. Uh, I, I think they become more aware of the fact this is an industry or it's a collection of industries, and that and that these are companies. One of our problems, of course, with the two biggest uh, problems here, which are, which are Facebook and Google in these discussions, is that they don't look like companies. Mm -hmm. We don't pay, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not paying a ca your cable bill every month. I mean, you just use these services. And so I think a lot of people don't really think of them as, as uh, giants, uh, corporate giants. We, we don't call them multinationals in the way we used to call the oil companies and banks multinationals. Um, but I think that's going to shift. Will it shift that? Because as long as people have this free, in inverted commas, Facebook account where they can connect with all their friends that they have through Google, this incredible search engine that takes them to any part of the world that, that, that they want to. Um, why, why is that going to change particularly? Because for all of maybe their monopolistic or whatever tendencies, um, something you spelt out in detail on Unheard at the moment in relationship to Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg's ambitions to be president, they're still getting free services. They, they are, and I mean we are, because we're all beneficiaries of, the, of these services. Um, I, I don't think people are going to make a, a sort of logical, sort of syllogistic change in their view of these organizations and decide, okay, this really is like standard oil in the old days, just looks like Mark Zuckerberg wearing a hoodie. Um, I think stories are what will change people's minds, and now they're getting a lot of stories. I mean, at one level, we have all this stuff now in the, about the US election and Facebook, you know, you could buy 3,000 ads on Facebook for $140,000. Um, and according to Margaret Sullivan, who is a very respected commentator in Washington Post, that swung the election. And th this is ads placed by sourced in Russian against S Hillary, pro-Trump. Russia, Russian organizations funded by the Russian government, hiring smart people who can use English in very clever ways um, and very narrowly targeted um, to cook. Partly to, to stop people voting, uh, as mm -hmm. well as to get people to vote a certain way, and and this is now coming out, and it's getting and the congressional inquiries in the U.S. and I mean th this is this is a big black eye for Facebook. Partly because Zuckerberg, in the middle of all this, Obama yeah. met with him personally yeah. to try to alert him to what was going on, and Zuckerberg ignored him. I don't get so, I don't want to get the fascinating though this mm -hmm. is, and of course some people are making similar allegations about um, the impact of this on Brexit referendum, mm -hmm. but. Without getting into too much detail, where do you think British politicians are, American politicians are, in recognising that these tech giants may be 
need to be brought to heel that they have too much power or are you relaxed about what most of them are up to no I'm very intensely unrelaxed about what they're up to and I think most politicians in America and here are very seized of the fact that these guys are now the most powerful men on the planet they actually and have they are men they are men they are largely young white men interestingly they have massive power and they have unfettered power because none of these platforms are regulated and also because they are run by this incredible genius they are impenetrable as well most policymakers would not even have the first clue where to begin to know where are the pinch points that could kind of curb their activity it's almost like they go in in these two different languages when I was a political advisor and we were looking at let's say copyright infringement because also a lot of these platforms even though they present themselves as do no evil we're just a bunch of guys in a soft play area with hoodies we're just all really young and hip mm. they're often making a lot of money off the back of other businesses and not paying them. If you look at, let's say, creators, the music industry, YouTube makes a lot of money without remunerating mm. the copyright owner properly. Same with the newspaper industry. Correct, exactly. Yeah. So I think and often when the politicians go in to try and even begin to have a conversation, they're just blinded by science mm. because oh, yeah. a lot of the you know politicians, they can barely figure out you know how to work their iPhone, let alone go in and go... Speak for yourself. Yeah. Well, they're also blinded by lobby, you know. And it was in the Financial Times, a very interesting piece about Google's lobbying in Washington. Um, and noting that Google has funded, I think it was 140 different organizations in Washington. Not just typical lobbying things, funded community groups, funded, you know, just to shut them up. And as the writer in the Times put, the, in the, um, put this, um, this, is, this is, so no one uses the M word. No one says they're monopolies. They mm. don't want that conversation. Now, you know, you can do that if very effectively, and they've done it with extraordinary generosity. At the end of the day, the worm may well begin to turn. And I think you get enough stories like that, lots of different kinds mm. of stories, and the public mind will shift. And you, you mentioned the M word, the monopoly word, and in your Facebook series, one of the most fascinating things you, I, I didn't see it at the time, Peter Thiel, founder of PayPal, um, sits on the Facebook board, one of the six white men of the eighth and he actually wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal saying Monopoly is good. Competition is for losers. Yeah. Well, is un well. Competition is for losers. And as long as that guy sits on Facebook's board, you, Mark Zuckerberg is communicating something. Well, absolutely. And also, I think the other big question that we, you know, we are now living in an era where people are not buying newspapers. There's an entire generation of people who only acquire their news and information from platforms like Facebook. Why aren't they seen as publishers? You know, there's lots of big regulatory mm -hmm. issues. They have a huge and profound impact. Whether this is proven to be true about the, the, the Russian intervention, they have a mass, they are huge influencers in terms of how a generation of young people think. And the idea that they have apps, that they are somehow above and exempt from any sort of regulation or even any discussion about, you know, how they conduct themselves is very, very troubling. You're going to be writing for us soon, um, Nigel, on um, this change in the air, whether the, how we can, how this change in elite opinion might translate into how public might change in response to uh, these tech companies. But just on the big thing that you've got on the site at the moment, Mark Zuckerberg's presidential ambitions, you've, 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 you've identified 10 obstacles in the way between where he is now and potentially becoming um, president and just for those who don't know he's hired all sorts of political consultants he's visited Iowa he's definitely interested in at least exploring this 
how likely is it do you think he'll run and how likely is it do you think he will become president well, i think it, i think it is not impossible um, and interestingly, from the various things we've been doing, investigating and talking to people and so on, um, the impression seems to be he's a decent man and he's well, he's well intentioned. He's not some sort of weird. Pledged to give ninety nine percent of he's his personal he's fortune to away. Get, to, to give his enormous amounts of money away, and he's begun giving some of it away now. And he's well regarded in, in the area. And his wife uh, Priscilla Chan d does all sorts of community things, and I think they're very decent people. Um, no one is suggesting, I think, otherwise than that. Um, but he's ended up running this uh, you know, megalith of an organization. And it's interesting, the, part of the, the, the sentiment is that, well, after, after uh, Mr. Trump finally goes, whenever that is, and I assume at some point he will finally go, um, that Americans will say, well, actually, maybe politicians aren't all that bad. Mm -hmm. It's also possible that the anti-politics, anti-establishment thing will keep driving forward. And the notion of a clean, smart young man who's in our homes every day through Facebook particularly if he begins to use Facebook in his interest, but it's a private company, maybe it's a privately held company, he could do it, I mean, he, he controls the company. Um, no standards determining equal opportunities there, um, that he has a serious chance of becoming the next president. And I think we need to start thinking that through. Does that frighten you, Aisha? It, it does frighten me, actually, because I do think having somebody who from a very, very, and he's definitely an exceptional human being, but he's had unfettered power for a very, from a very young age. No one has probably said no to him in quite a long time. And I just don't think that's the best experience to become the president of the United States, as we are witnessing right now. Aisha, Nigel, thank you very much. Thanks to James Coney, who puts this podcast together for us every week and has also produced a brilliant two-minute video to accompany the um, uh, Nigel's um, series on Facebook and I'll link to all the things that we've been discussing um, on the feed blog and we'll certainly be tweeting um, those links uh, very soon so um, Nigel come and talk to us next time you're on this side of the pond thank Thanks. you for today and thank you Aisha I'm not going to be here next week so you're going to be in charge is it safe for me to be afraid be very afraid <laughs> <laughs> I shall be listening <laughs> And thank you to you for listening. Until very soon, goodbye.